Hello and welcome to the MGMA Insider Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. Today we're joined by Elizabeth Woodcock, founder and principal of Woodcock and Associates. Elizabeth will be talking about her book, Patient Access, Tools and Strategies for the Medical Practice, and she'll be providing insights on better ways to communicate with patients. Elizabeth, thanks for joining the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Um, now, please tell our audience about your background in healthcare and medical practice groups. I've been working in practice management actually for more than 25 years. My experience and expertise really falls in the area of operations as well as revenue cycle management. Now, you've got an exciting new product to share with the audience along with uh, Deborah Walker Keegan. The two of you recently published the book Patient Access Tools and Strategies for the Medical Practice. Um, Give us a little background on that. What led you to writing the book? And if you wouldn't mind providing just a basic foundation, how do you define patient access? I'm so excited to have the book out on the market. And um, it's a great story in terms of why patient access. In 2011, I created an organization called the Patient Access Collaborative, and I've increasingly spent more and more time on this topic, particularly in the past few years. From an operational perspective, patient access is really, in my mind, the crossroads of practice operations and revenue cycle management. And I should mention, Daniel, let me state for the record that the focus here is on the ambulatory enterprise. That is the physician office setting. As one can imagine, there are significant access issues for the emergency department, medical transportation, the operating room, et cetera. But for our purposes, patient access is defined by the three pillars of telephone handling, call handling, call management, schedule optimization, all of the work behind appointment templates, And last but not least, once the patient gets in, the ambulatory operations, that is uh, the running of the clinic. Elizabeth, you've been in this industry for 25 years, you said. I'm assuming that you've been researching and writing about patient access for a good part of that time. I'm just curious about this. Have the fundamental issues and barriers changed over time or do they basically remain the same? I think the fundamental issues are the same. Frankly, this is all a matter of supply and demand, kind of basic economics. In our case, it's the amount of providers' time, physicians, advanced practice providers that we have dedicated to the office to see patients. And then on the flip side, it's the demand of patients for those appointments. You know, it's interesting though, Daniel, because I think a page out of my own personal experience, uh, however, shows the change in thinking over time. When I started off in practice management, our orthopedics clinics had only two appointment times, one at 9 a.m. where we scheduled 60 patients and another at 1 p.m. where another 60 patients were scheduled. The notion of no-shows, late arrivers, and frankly, the entire appointment template, I mean, they really didn't matter. What also didn't matter, at the time at least, was the patient's experience. Access was purely focused on us, the provider side. It's interesting because what's also changed is the fact that at that time, we hired receptionists simply to smile. We didn't care about insurance verification, eligibility, or any of those other critical front-end revenue cycle processes. 
So in sum, while the fundamentals have been consistent over time, that supply and demand, our lens has changed, our framework has changed. We now care deeply about the patient's experience. We know that patients are evaluating us based on access. In fact, I would argue that uh, quality is access and access is quality, at least in the patient's mind. And we also recognize the importance of uh, these points of access into our ambulatory setting, which truly define the success of our revenue cycle. So even though the fundamentals have stayed the same, the framework has certainly changed. In talking about your book, I was looking through it, and it really does take a complete and holistic view of patient access. For the sake of this podcast, I really wanted to focus in on the telephone. You were talking about that earlier, and it looked like the telephone in one form or another. It really does serve as the focal point of a number of your chapters. Um, in this age, I have to ask this, in this age of advancing technologies, why does the telephone continue to play such an important role in patient access? Well, Daniel, let me start off by saying that I sure wish it didn't. And why? Why do I say that? Well, the telephone requires synchronous communication, meaning that you and I must be on the line at the exact same time. Wow. It's also hard to manage because it naturally comes in waves. That is inbound calls. There are always a bolus of calls, for example, that we have to handle on Monday morning. That's just the nature of healthcare. It's interesting, though, because increasingly medical practices are realizing the value of self-service, encouraging patients and caregivers, as well as referring providers uh, to self-serve. That is to request a prescription refill, to schedule a follow-up appointment, and so forth without the telephone. So I think our reliance on the phone is changing right now, but uh, we still know that is the main access, the communication point for our patients today. So it's got to be well-managed. And do you see, is there any difference between sort of the aging population, which often make up uh, the biggest population in, uh, of patients in a medical practice versus our younger groups, such as the millennials? Uh, are, the, are those older patients more reliant on telephone, those traditional methods of communication? Well, fortunately, our awesome seniors are actually increasingly uh, getting on and adopting and implementing our patient portals or our patient communication devices that don't rely on the phones. And of course, the other big group that relates to that category of patients are patients' caregivers. So people like me who uh, care for my mother-in-law, I am all over my uh, patient portal for my mother-in-law because it helps me remotely be able to assist in managing her care. So I think that is changing and it's exciting to see that change. But now we're in sort of this crazy world where we're managing both the telephone as well as that remote communication. So it's a tough time for practices, no doubt. Sure. Now, since you've made a strong point that telephones are here to stay, at least in the immediate future and the present, um, what are some of the best practices for managing the telephone in a medical practice? Well, Daniel, I think it starts with data. And that's how I would, of course, frame any performance improvement initiative. Understand your performance related to service level, average speed to answer, abandonment rate, and other key telephone-based metrics. 
And then second, know your configuration. And when I talk about configuration, I'm talking about how your telecommunications system, your actual system is set up, how calls are routed, what is your call distributor, how is it set up, et cetera. And then determine the workflow that supports it. How have you deployed the management of phone calls? Why do patients call? Referrals, appointments, billing questions, et cetera. And then who and how are they being managed? And I will tell you, it's this who is accountable that really is uh, critical. Otherwise, uh, patients will suffer and your patient experience ratings will cause your practice to suffer as well unless you get this right. Now, one of the chapters that caught my eye, you had really spelled it out where there are some tools that uh, medical practices could use in their own, in their own practice. Um, are there any you want to share, such as scripts or any other ideas like that that could help a medical practice? Well, there may not be zillions, but there are lots of different tools, but I'm going to hone in on the first impression. And actually, I think that's a super important takeaway. The telephone is your best first impression tool, so you've got to make it a good one. Patients can feel your smile, so make sure you're smiling. In fact, one of the small recommendations uh, that I like to make is to have a little mirror on the workstation of anyone who's answering the phone, just as that reminder of how important, uh, even though the person might be not standing in front of you, how important your smile, your demeanor is when you pick up the phone. And then have an opening script that everyone follows. After a greeting like good morning, State your practice's full name. And I don't want any of this crazy PDGI, for example, for a pediatric gastroenterology practice. This is your brand. And then add your name to personalize it. So it might go like, uh, good afternoon, medical practice associates. This is Elizabeth speaking. How may I help you? Let me ask you this then. There's, um, you've worked with a number of medical practices. Do you have any kind of a, a case study or an anecdotal, uh, some anecdotal information you might want to share with the audience where you walked into a medical practice, you saw some inefficiencies, and then you just, you sort of guided them along, you helped them kind of raise their game, and, and you saw a, a real successful transformation? Well, I think there's a couple of avenues that we can talk about. One is the fact that we know that there is a correlation between your patient satisfaction scores and callbacks. And so that's one of those areas where I always hone in on. I mentioned that uh, personal accountability, where are calls routed and who's going to get back to patients. And so really focusing in on callbacks, making sure that 100% of them are done and they're done in a timely manner and timely being defined by the patient. You know, it's amazing to me because a lot of practices say, well, oh, we'll get back to you within 48 hours. Well, that's Sounds lovely, but believe you me, your patients are going to call 14 times in the interim. So really that callback, I think, is where I probably focused the most on, as well as really looking at the processes underneath call demand. So why are patients calling? 
are they calling back over and over again? Well, that just means more work for you. So that's another area where literally just creating some very basic tracking tools, and I'm talking about a piece of paper and a pen, and then writing down why patients are calling. It's not like you have to do a major you know, research project on this, but spend a day or two in the call room sitting down with your triage nurses and having them write down why patients are calling and then categorize those calls. And what I do is work with practices to say, hey, if patients are always calling about, for example, their um, operating room instructions or their pre-op instructions, then could we do a better job? Could we do a better job of getting that information to them in the first place and thereby really creating a win-win and eliminating the call altogether. So again, callbacks and call demand, I would probably say those are the two areas that I've honed in on the most that really make a huge difference for the practice as well as the patient. Elizabeth, you had mentioned that uh, you wrote the book with Deborah Walker-Keegan. Uh, some of our listeners may be aspiring writers, want to get out there and write about some of their own experiences and provide tools. Um, for other people in the industry, what advice would you give them if they want to get started and perhaps write blogs or other information for their colleagues? Well, I think that a medical practice manager's experience is so, so critical to share. This is a very, very difficult time. Every single day is challenging. So I think if you're going to write about it, think about your own experiences. What are challenges that you have in your day? And then create a framework around those anecdotes. So if you're having a really tough day with one particular issue, write that down and then talk about how you solved it. I think it's important for people, in my opinion, to learn by stories, to learn by reality, your experiences. And uh, don't discredit the fact that you do have wonderful experiences. A lot of practices say, well, you know, this happens to me every day. Nobody, nobody else cares. Actually, they do. We have an entire generation of people who uh, we want to make sure learn about how to manage medical practices. So share your stories. And you don't always have to have the greatest solutions. In fact, I think sometimes it's even best to write about the mistakes we've made because others learn from so much from that. That sounds great. Well, Elizabeth, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. Thank you. Thanks again to Elizabeth Woodcock for joining the MGMA Insider Podcast. To learn more about Elizabeth's book, including a preview chapter, visit mgma.com slash access7. That's access, then the number 7. If you have any questions, concerns, or ideas, please shoot us an email at podcast at mgma.com. Thanks again for being an MGMA Insider. I'm Daniel Williams.